Hi there. My name's Andrew Kays, and I'm the pastor at Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church of Paynes Point. That's in rural Oregon, Illinois. You're about to hear me preach. The second reading comes from Matthew, the 16th chapter. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block for me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Here ends the reading. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. We could almost, if things didn't change so quickly in our culture, in our society, we could have almost just kind of hit rewind and pressed repeat, right? Today's text sounds similar to what we've seen over the last few weeks. We see Jesus again in a little bit of rare form. We're seeing again that we're called to be reckless, you know, live dangerously, if it's for the right reasons, for the sake of neighbor, for the love of God, that sort of thing, but not if it's for the sake of self, for entertainment, to cope with the anxieties of the day. That doesn't fly. So we're called to be reckless, but only for the right reasons. And Jesus presents that again as a, a bit of a tension and frames it a little differently. Today, it's between the divine things and the, the human things. And for them here, the divine thing is to pick up the cross, to suffer, to die. For them, the, the human thing would have been to resist it, to prioritize one's own life and above all else and ultimately lose it. Kind of like one of those party favor finger traps from when you were a child, you know? You put a finger in each end and uh, you try to get them out, but it doesn't work. If you want to get them out, you can't, you can't fight it. That makes it worse. Forcing it won't do the trick. To get the desired result, you have to do the, the opposite of what you might think. It's a, it's a paradox. You want to save your life? Lose it. You want to lose your life? Try to save it. Now, that sounds a little strange, even to us now, knowing what we know, Jesus, post-resurrection, and so on. Well, we're going to have to cut Peter a little bit of slack. We're going to have to go a little easier on him than Jesus did. Jesus, of course, is stern with him because of the severity of the situation, but we don't have to be. And there's a lesson in that, in thinking about where Peter's at. It's a lesson we need to bear in mind, and it's not obvious at first blush. So let's just back it up a little bit, and we'll see why. They've been traveling along. Most likely, Peter and a few others thought, at least when they started, it was going to be a rebellion. You know, that's why the first disciples, you see they, the young men get up and follow and they leave their fathers behind to tend to the fish. Some time passes and, and they get a bit of a better idea what's really going on. They, 
They learn from Jesus. They see his authority, his power, his selflessness. It's not just any other preacher out in the streets. They bond. They get attached. They've become dependent on Jesus and the movement and each other for food, you know, basic necessities, sure, but also for their identities. Who Peter is is now wrapped up in what he's been doing and who he's been with. It's wrapped up in each other. Finally, Peter gets to know him well enough. He proclaims Jesus is the Christ. And that probably, you know, certainly meant different things to different people. Peter, again, probably still had at least a bit of that military thing in mind. However he saw uh, that's playing out, he almost certainly thought the way it ends is Rome gets kicked out, Judah becomes independent, Israel gets restored. But Jesus doesn't indulge that. Instead, uh, the time's coming when Jesus is going to die, by crucifixion even. I mean, Jesus is telling Peter, his friend, that he's going to die in the most shameful, horrific public way. Peter is hearing his friend and teacher tell him he'll be shamed and killed. And he hears that the movement he depends on will end. He hears that his identity, where he sees himself and his self-worth, will be taken from him. God forbid how could he respond any other way? I mean, with hindsight, we look back and we say, well, what a bumbling fool he was, right? I mean, they've been together, uh, depends how you slice it, say a year, maybe three. Uh, And the lesson in this brief exchange, that if we really unpack that, that we often just breeze on by, is that we are just like Peter. Given those circumstances, that time together, that attachment, that self-worth and identity, could we honestly say we would do any better? I mean, how many times have we done just this stuff? We've pushed, demanded, fought to make sure our lives stay pretty much the same as they are. Can't change the routine. Even if we're on a, you know, on a direction where we'll change, you can't change the direction. Just think of how decisions get made in church. How important it is to some people, we can't change the carpet, can't change the songs. How many times have we misplaced our identity in some self-serving or aggrandizing thing, right? Like Peter's desire to be in charge once Rome's kicked out. We want to be the most authoritative, the coolest, the strongest in the room, or make the most money, have the biggest house, eat at the nicest restaurants, take the nicest trips, you know. How many times have we mistaken ourselves, though we're unique and valuable individuals, as losing ourselves and finding our identity in the group? Could be political, could be religious, could be our country, could be our race, our hometown, our friends, our family. There is a profound human arrogance that we tend to think we are the exception. That if all the circumstances were the same, I would somehow know better. I'd be stronger, I'd be smarter, I'd be more moral than that guy. We convince ourselves that if we were there in that group at that event and that time, that we would what? Like know the things we know now and have the courage to stand up to it? (laughs) But there can't be that many exceptions. We can't all be exceptions. That's kind of in the definition. So if you believed, if you were raised to believe that police officers are an existential threat to you and your community, you would probably fear them and treat them like a threat. If you are raised to believe that 
black men are more likely to be a threat to you and your safety, you'd probably behave as though they were a greater threat. If you were raised to think the only way to have your voice heard is to scream and set things on fire, you'd probably do that too. And if you were raised to believe the only solution to a bad situation is to have the bigger gun, well, you'd probably bring the bigger gun. Now, I don't just mean raised as in your parents explicitly told you. I mean, there's the media and your experiences and your peers, your environment, and so on. None of that is to justify any of what's gone on, gone on over the past week and few months in our proverbial backyards. To admit that given the right circumstances, I could have ended up being brutal with my fellow humans. Or to admit that given slightly different circumstances, I could have been the one who was brutalized. That does not and cannot justify racism, police brutality, rioting, vandalism, vigilantism. They're not all equal, but they're all wrong. But we're Peter. Our identity's on the line, our self-worth. The people and places, the ideals we care about could be ripped from us at any moment. You see it on the evening news all the time. So forbid it, God. Just please don't let that happen to me, to us even if that means someone else suffers. See, Peter's self-serving impulse lives in all of us. But it will come. If life is a journey, sooner or later, the path will get too treacherous to traverse any further. And we can scream and shout and shoot and burn and flail and none of it, none of it will clear the path. None of it will take us any farther. Like Elijah's story reminded us again in recent memory, the soft, subtle whispers don't pierce through the storms, the quakes, the fires. It's in the sheer silence that follows that we might hear a voice just past where we can see, just around the bend where the path goes. Maybe from there we hear a voice, come on, Peter, get up, keep walking, follow the humility to admit that we're no better than that bumbling fool stumbling down the path in Jesus' day or the wretched actors of our own. Again, it cannot justify those misdeeds, that kind of behavior. But instead, it calls to our attention what it means when Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow. You can't carry the baggage with you. You need your hands free to carry the cross. And that includes that you can't let the evil you were raised with persist, even if it's comfortable. Denying yourself means denying comforts, even comfortable evils. You can't follow Jesus if you're chasing after sin and hate and violence and division. You just can't. It's like pulling your fingers from that trap, trying to make yourself feel safe with weapons and destroying things and taking lives. It'll backfire, and you'll find yourself more paranoid, more hateful, more scared. And your neighbors will, too. How do you put an end to that? Violence beginning violence. Darkness perpetuating darkness. Evil returned with evil. You have to stop fighting. 
till someone or, and enough someones pick up the cross and follow and think that path through. What happens? Jesus on the cross endured a prejudiced, evil, selfish sort of death. And up there, he prays for his enemies. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. They just don't know what they're doing. And he calls us to follow, to get up there and do the same. There's no easy answer, but there are some easy next steps. Christians are called to suffer for the sake of the oppressed. That means we give of ourselves to lighten the burden of others, even if ours increases. That means supporting those who are victimized and lifting up the caring, well-reasoned voices, saying, there's a problem here, I might have a solution. That means we gotta be humble, reserve judgment of individuals and group, but at the same time, call evil what it is. Don't entertain it or justify it just because it's from my side for the greater good. Quite the opposite. If it's my side committing evil acts, I need to be the first to call it out. And lastly, to hit on it again, gotta leave the junk behind. If you were raised to think you can safely judge someone's character based on the color of their skin, it's time to realize you've been lied to and leave that junk behind. If you were raised to think that all cops are enemy combatants, then realize you were lied to and leave that junk behind. If you were taught that violence is the answer, that bringing the gun or setting the fires, realize you've been lied to. That's only gonna make things worse. It could only end badly. But they just don't know what they're doing. We have to find a way to forgive each other, to make their suffering our suffering. That's what Jesus does for us. It's what Jesus calls us to do, not just for our neighbors, but for our enemies too. Thanks for listening. I pray God spoke to you in some way. A quick note at the end, which you can skip if you've heard it before. The audio in my sermons does not always come with proper citations. While I do some self-study and lean on my own seminary education, I also lean on my colleagues with whom we have a regular text study, and I also use Luther Seminary's Working Preacher website and their podcast Sermon Brainwave fairly often. Some credit is due to at least one of those other sources. Wherever you are, whenever you hear this, please be well. Take care of yourself and each other. Be responsible and have a great rest of the week. Thanks.